0: It's time once again for Spiritual Awakening Radio. Today's program is about a spiritual lifestyle, contemplative life from India to Egypt. Later in the program, an exceptional group called the Therapeutae, a mystical Jewish Essene order that had a monastery or monastic community just outside Alexandria, Egypt, 2,000 years ago a rare glimpse into ashram life there. And beginning the program will be an exploration of a Maharishi Mehi ashram, a a Sant Mat related ashram located in Rishikesh, India. Some exceptional examples of ashram life. Everyone has beliefs, but some have practices and lead a spiritual lifestyle. You'll hear about daily meditation practices and other practices about a spiritual lifestyle this week on Spiritual Awakening Radio, living the contemplative life from Egypt to India. Today's program is program 524, although that's not really my 524th program. If I started at the very, very, very beginning and had just one incarnation and one series, it would be more like program, 3,524, or 4,524, I lose track. My name is James Bean. Welcome to Spiritual Awakening Radio. Each week I present an exploration of the world of spirituality, comparative religion, world scriptures, sacred texts, and other books that matter, East and West, about God, meditation, near-death experiences, the vegan diet, and other Ahimsa ethics, education for a more peaceful planet, an electronic spiritual gathering, a satsang without walls. My website is at this address, spiritualawakeningradio.com At my website, you'll see tabs, links, and buttons, app-like buttons that take you to various sites, my blogs, articles, I have a donate button at the website which helps keep the program going. I have a a Yahoo button, which leads you to my main Yahoo group. I have many, many Yahoo groups, actually, and I use those to send out my occasional newsletter called Light and Sound on the Path. I don't believe in little short daily emails, pinging your inbox, ping, ping, ping. I don't really go for that approach. I like the occasional once or twice a month document. That is about 3,000 to 5,000 words in length, maybe longer than that. I think my most recent one is actually more like 7,000 words long. And those newsletters consist of, well, there are links to podcasts that are available, recent podcasts, spiritual quotes harvested from my social media, a kind of digest of the best of what's been posted in the last several weeks, at Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and other sites, articles, various research and postings, mystical art, photography, icon, images, uh, all of those things put together and turned into a kind of book or booklet, mailed out once or twice a month, a newsletter I call Light and Sound on the Path. Once again, the web address is spiritualawakeningradio.com. There is a HealthyLife.net app or button at my website also, where you can click and access podcasts at HealthyLife.net and Earth Channel, and you can download download all podcasts for about a three-month period. You can share the links with other people as well. Post uh, links to these podcasts in your own social media world, if you like. Share these podcasts and uh, download those mp3s while you can for a three-month period and enjoy listening to the show on demand uh, anytime spiritualawakeningradio.com if you'd like to send me a text message the number is 508-603-9381 or email this address james at spiritualawakeningradio.com Welcome to this week's program. An individual by the name of Megan Brummer of Sydney, Australia, once published a kind of spiritual travel log in India, and I saved this article from a few years back. At one point in her travels in India, she encounters an ashram affiliated with the Sant tradition, a Maharishi Mehi ashram in Rishikesh, India. Glimpses into Santmat ashram life, Rishikesh, sanctuary of sadhus, sages, and the occasional enlightened master visiting one of the Maharishi Mehi ashrams in India, she writes, Passing on by the temple entrance, I eventually come across a middle-aged American dressed in orange robes. We engage in a brief conversation designed to assess mutual spiritual worthiness. It transpires, he arrived in Rishikesh some months previously, dipped in the Ganges River and prayed fervently for a living master and for spiritual guidance. His prayers were answered by Swamiji, a holy man who took him in as a pupil or disciple, even allowing him to share his dwelling at the ashram. This is one of those coincidences, uh, as it is this Swamiji I am seeking, being fortunate enough to have previously been granted an interview with him. So she's seeking this same master and uh, is uh, walking through the, the door of the ashram. She continues, I am soon led through the simple entrance to Swamiji's living quarters. Swamiji, speaking only Hindi, translated by his American disciple, invites me to sit down on the earthly clay floor beside the a beautiful shrine on which revered icons or pictures of some of the greatest masters of all time are lovingly displayed. Buddha, Jesus, Krishna, Guru Nanak, and others, aspired to by many as the perfect devotee with unparalleled strength and commitment. My experience with Swamiji enforces the emphasis I have noted that masters place on the practice of meditation. Dhyana, Pantanjali's seventh limb of yoga as described in the Yoga Sutras is an integral part of any authentic yoga practice. In fact, the purpose of practicing yoga is considered by many great yogis to be the foundation for one's preparation. Through the practice of various ethical virtues the body, and mind are prepared for the state of stillness, which would otherwise be elusive to attain. These as- asanas or ethical virtues and practices prepare one for going within, she sang. Swamiji was devoted to his guru, Maharishi Mehi Parmhans, who at age 90 could no longer walk. Swamiji would carry him around would carry him around to help him give his talks and lectures. Maharishi Mehi Pamhans was a disciple of Baba Devi Sahib, whose belief in the importance of yoga can be seen in his words, quote, You may remain Hindu, Muslim, Christian, or a follower of any other religion, but while living the, the pleasures and pains of human life, do not live even a single day without inner meditation." Unquote. Mahatma Gandhi, one of Mother India's most beloved children, was an equally strong advocate of the benefits of meditation, once saying, quote, Today I have so much to do, I will need to meditate for two hours instead of one, unquote. There's something to be said for that. Um, there is a, a clarity of mind that comes to one who practices meditation there is a clarity, there's inner guidance, there's spiritual guidance, there's opportunity for your soul to give you feedback, or angels to whisper in your ear, as it were, as it was, the the inner voice uh, that comes to you, if you allow space for it, in the silence of meditation, and there's inner guidance. The Quakers have a practice before doing any meeting decisions and any decisions going on in their business meetings. They will do a a moment of silence. They will pause and meditate in the silence for guidance and inspiration before making any major decisions. You know, let your soul be in control because uh, sometimes your soul has uh, other ways of perceiving Than the mind, or the conscious mind even, in in a distracted sort of way, uh, might be able to know about. Our, Our perception is limited. And sometimes in the silence of meditation, you get a different angle of vision, perception, guidance, inspiration. And it's really valuable to have that before you take on much karma and get into trouble here in the lower planes of consciousness that higher feedback, that upper uh, inspiration, that voice from on high can be very much uh, to your benefit, can come to your rescue can save the day in fact. Consistent daily practice, back to this article. According to Swami Sarasvati, even a day's break in one's meditation practice lessens the accumulated benefits as the everyday impressions which gather in the chitta or memory will, will be more difficult to go beyond. An irregular practitioner either sleeps in meditation or is lost in his impressions, lost in his thoughts. A regular practitioner is able to overcome sleep and dream states and experiences are seen on the subtle planes, unquote. Devoted to meditation, Swamiji obviously adopted this dedicated attitude to the practice of meditation. His routine has him in bed by 9 p.m. and then up at 1 a.m. to meditate. For 45 years, he has been practicing the meditation taught by Maharishi Mehi, a method which has been handed down from guru to disciple for over 3,000 years. Quote, "...get up early and do your meditation." Says Swamiji, five hours sleep is enough if you have deep meditation. Deep meditation. Unquote. And there's something to be said for that. If you meditate uh, for a long period of time each day and do so very deeply, you will gain some of the same benefits as you would from sleep. And so those given to long meditation tend to also need or require a little bit less sleep because meditation for them is a chance to rest the body as well. But as this paragraph stressed, it is not a sleep sleepitation. One is fully focused in meditation. Uh, it's just that those who meditate for an hour or two uh, require a bit less sleep and they're also getting another kind of spiritual recharging. Uh, through the process of meditation. Back to the article. According to his new American cavemate, Swamiji starts his day meditating for three hours, seemingly entering a state of samadhi, a transcendent state of self-realized awareness. He then silently goes about his morning chores, chopping wood, cleaning, carrying water, before taking his daily bath in the Ganges. Even though he is walking around and doing his chores, he is very introverted and meditative. But in the afternoon, he becomes very playful. Brahma Muhurta, the hour of God, what the Sikhs call Amaratvela Vela, or hour of elixir, is the best time for meditation. In conversation with Swamiji, he suddenly bursts out enthusiastically with Brahma Muhurta. This, I learn, is the time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., known as the most favorable time for sadhna, one's daily meditation practices. During Brahma Muhurta, so called as it's considered the most auspicious time for meditating on God, the mind is calm and less engaged with worldly thoughts, worries, and, and anxieties. Also, the atmospheric energy during this time is more charged with sattva or purity. Increasing the likelihood, one's practice will go deeper with corresponding health and well-being benefits. Singing the ancient wisdom. Quite spontaneously, Swamiji picks up a strange-looking stringed instrument which he begins to play. He sings centuries-old songs or bhajans, Bannies, hymns, revering enlightened masters, their spiritual teachings and methods of meditation. Later he tells me that for thousands of years great yogis have handed down certain teachings through these simple folk songs. And that's certainly very true. Uh, Every saint uh, of the past has been either a poet or a composer of hymns. Guru Nanak Kabir, Paltu Sahib, Tulsi Das, reincarnated as Tulsi Sahib, Swamiji Maharaj of Agra. All of these great saints and mystics have been the composers of ecstatic hymns. And these hymns are very instructional about meditation practice, ethical virtues, everything. All of the guidance is right in the hymns. So if you memorize and sing the hymns, you've got a very right-brained way of learning, a great way of teaching, uh, in a very dignified way, giving some justice to these exalted spiritual teachings through bani's, bhajans, kirtans, or hymns. The purpose of life. With Swamiji, there is no such thing as idle chatter. He talks of the impermanence of the body and the purpose of life attaining spiritual enlightenment to avoid samsara or endless rebirth here in the world of changes, the choppy ocean of this world. He reminds me that when I die nothing will go with me. I will have to leave everything behind, except the accumulated spiritual wealth of my personal sadhana, or meditation practice, the purpose of life. An article by Megan Brummer of Sydney, Australia, which I saved a few years back and occasionally post online, glimpses into Sant Mat Ashram life, Rishikesh, Sanctuary of Sadhus, Sages, and the, the Occasional Enlightened Master. The name of the program is Spiritual Awakening, and I want to share with you a bit more about that meditation practice. Book Review, Philosophy of Liberation, authored by Maharishi Mehi Paramhans. website of the publisher, thewayofsages.com, translated into English by Vina Howard. This book Called Philosophy of Liberation is a great manual of Sant Mat mysticism. It's the first book that appeared in the English language, consisting of the teachings of Maharishi Mehi Parmhans in the lineage of Sant Tulsi Sahib of Hathras and Baba Devi Sahib of Moradabad. Philosophy of Liberation is an intriguing book, providing some surprisingly technical details on the Yoga of Light and Sound, Surat Shabd Yoga Meditation. Very technical, it's a bit more Upanishadic than I would have expected, rich with quotes from Hindu scriptures, as well as various sants of India, including from the Ghat Ramayana of Saint Tulsi Sahib. Anyone interested in developing their own successful daily meditation practice will greatly benefit from the wisdom and depth of philosophy of liberation, as it systematically covers all aspects of the philosophy of the path and technical details of spiritual practice, rarely ever seen in print from any source outside of India. It is not light reading, and that is what I precisely like about it. It is quite literally the manual of Sant Mutt, one of the best books written about Sant Mutt mysticism. There are several techniques described, the specific details of which are taught to students at the time of their diksha, or initiation into nam-dan, into the meditation practice. Uh, But generally speaking, I am at liberty to say uh, these following things. One, developing a daily routine, the habit of meditating at the same time, or times, each day. This is also about Two, proper posture, so that one is truly focused at the third eye and remains alert and awake during meditation. Three, manas jap or simran, the mantra repetition of a sacred word done mostly within, mentally. It's a mental chant. It's a great gift to receive a mantra from a living master. And simran or manas jap is the name of this practice of name repetition, repeating your sacred word or words. More after these messages. We'll explore more about this book, Philosophy of Liberation, on Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay tuned. Namaste, Radhaswami Jai Satnam. Welcome back to Spiritual Awakening Radio. Before the break, I was beginning to explore some of the key teachings of the book Philosophy of Liberation by Maharishi Mehi Paramahans. One, developing a daily routine, the habit of meditating at the same time or times each day. Two, proper posture, so that one is truly focused at the third eye center and remains alert and awake, usually with spine, straight, sitting in a very focused sort of way comfortable but focused 3. manas jap, also known as Simran or Zikr the prayer of the name a mantra repetition of a sacred word or words done mentally a mental chant you're chanting within your thoughts within your mind with the tongue of thought so it's a very directed inward kind of chant four, Manas Dion, Picking up where we left off earlier. Manas dhyan the technique of mentally visualizing the form of God or the form of one's spiritual teacher. You're visualizing and this is a kind of preparation or warming up to the idea of seeing within. You're visualizing within and that's opening you up to the concept of inner vision just as the repetition of a sacred name is opening you up to the receptivity of inner sound. So, inner sound, inner light, receptivity is being developed by these practices of Manas Jap and Manas Dhyan. 5. dristi Yoga, the technique of focusing upon an infinitesimal point. This is inner light meditation. You're gazing into the darkness, waiting for the light to appear. This point of focus will eventually blossom into inner light, or visions of light. One gazes into the middle of the darkness, or the light one sees, while in meditation. 6. nadha sadhna or surat shabd yoga inner sound meditation. The practice of inner transcendental hearing, inner spiritual hearing, the sound that comes from beyond the silence the sound of silence, as some Buddhists call it. It's a sound coming from beyond the silence. And seventh, reaching the state of Kivalya, or oneness with the Supreme Being in the purely conscious realm. This is the ultimate goal of Surat Shabh Yoga meditation, to merge into the upper level of Kivalya, the state beyond sound, the ultimate reality of God in the Narguna, or formless, state also described with terms such as anami, or nameless, anadi, soundless, or beyond sound, the ocean of love, or anurag sagar, also referred to as lord of the soul, or radhaswami The poet mystic Tulsi Sahib of Hathras described this as a being who is inaccessible, unfathomable, and nameless and who has no locality, location, and is not confined to space, unquote. That is the state of God. The poet mystic Tulsi Sahib describes it this way, There is a being who is inaccessible, or agim, unfathomable, alak, and nameless, or anami, who has no locality, location, and is not confined to space. Tulsi often used the Sufi language of love or bhakti, describing this timeless spiritual state of oneness as the abode of the beloved. So this is a kind of paradox of the Sant tradition, a belief in a God who is formless, like a cloud, an infinite cloud of energy that's pure love. And so, without form, and yet there is love and devotion, a kind of bhakti path with some shared teachings with Krishna consciousness and other Vaishnava paths of India. Only one is not devoted to any god of form, but a formless god, described as this infinite ocean of love and all consciousness. So, some glimpses into the book Philosophy of Liberation by Maharishi Mehi Pamhans a spiritual successor of Maharishi Mehi by the name of Sri Bhagrath Baba on spiritual practice. Sri Bhagrath Baba lives at the Maharishi Mehi ashram in Kapagat, Bagalpur, Bihar district, India, a place where it is rumored that once upon a time Buddha meditated in various caves, and there are many caves there, yogis and uh, masters and meditators to this day meditate in those caves i've seen photos of those caves the practitioner if he sits for meditation always must keep his or head neck and spinal cord completely straight the respiration process will go on naturally and will become slowed if one sits straight and thus it is a helping factor in meditation Sants and yogis have fixed times of meditation. These times are, one, in the pre-dawn, three hours before sunrise, mentioned earlier, Brahma Muhurta, the hour of God, or Amaret Vela, the Sikh term, meaning hour of elixir. Two, after taking a bath during the midday, and three, during the evening after the sun sets. Meditation at these three times is the thrice-daily meditation. That's what they practice at the Maharishi Mehi ashram and advise all uh, disciples uh, that follow or are connected with any of the other 500 or so ashrams associated with Maharishi Mehi. The thrice-daily meditation at those key times. A practitioner must sit for meditation at these three times and should also do manas jap or the mental repetition of sacred name, the guru-instructed mantra, uh, while doing work. Uh, any available space during the day, you can do your uh, mental repetition of sacred names during free mom- free moments of the day or night. The name of the program is Spiritual Awakening Radio. After the break, I want to share with you a little bit about the Therapeutae, an ancient Essene order, and daily life at this Essene monastery outside Alexandria, Egypt, 2,000 years ago. Stay tuned for more Spiritual Awakening Radio after these very important messages. ¶¶ Spiritual Awakening Radio is here every week, streaming live by way of healthylife.net, positive talk radio, and becomes soon thereafter a podcast on demand 24-7. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is james at spiritualawakeningradio.com. Text message me at this number, if you like, 508-603-9381. 508-603-9381. With any questions or comments, or I can send you uh, copies of things, like my articles I'm sharing with you today, or links to various sites online, or free books even. There's a copy of philosophy of liberation the book i was just describing it's a free online book i put it there myself i uploaded it myself at the internet archive and other sites scribd is another site i have it at my website and so you know i believe in free books uh santmont wikilinks, or you know indian mysticism wiki you know this stuff should all be out there for free one click away from anyone on the planet with a computer or a phone, that's my philosophy V for Vendetta you know, we need uh, you know, the, a revolution and all of this information out there for free and no secrets uh, at all being uh, held back or kept or no membership fees or anything no membership dues uh, spirituality like sunlight should be free and shine upon all upon all souls meet the children of the dawn, speaking of sunrise and the sun, meet the children of the dawn, an ancient mystical Jewish order of Essenes known as the Therapeutae, based on the word where we get the, the word healer from, a variation of uh, Therapeutae, called uh, therapeutic. The Therapeutae, the first monastery mentioned in all of human history, Uh, based on an early Greek word for monastery, the first time that Greek word was used for an intentional spiritual community. They were a community that once existed near Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, In in the same way that Qumran was near the Dead Sea, uh, this group also had their spiritual community near a body of water, just outside Alexandria, Egypt, a lake there. Members of the Therapeutae order wore white, just like Pythagoras. Well, Pythagoras wore white, and this group did as well. They wore white like some Sikhs and Sufis, being clothed in tunics of the most delicate texture, it says, and of the purest white, said Philo of Alexandria in one of his writings. In the case of most Gnostic groups, the Essenes, as well, a Jewish movement. We only know them through their writings, their teachings, and not much else. In the case of the Therapeutae, no collections of their writings have ever been found. But through Philo of Alexandria, we have a fairly detailed description of their daily life and weekly format of worship. For more, you can explore Philo of Alexandria's book called On the Contemplative Life. And that's a free online book as well. I can send you a link to it. Uh, That's a free book as well. And after they feast, they celebrate the sacred festival during the whole night. And this nocturnal festival is celebrated in the following manner. They all stand up together and in the middle of the entertainment Two choruses are formed at first, one of men and the other of women, therefore being intoxicated all night till the morning with this beautiful intoxication, without feeling in their heads heavy or closing their eyes for sleep, but being even more awake than when they came to the feast, as their eyes and their whole bodies had standing there till morning when they saw the sun rising, they raised their hands to heaven, imploring tranquility and truth and acuteness of understanding, and after their prayers, they each retired to their own separate abodes with the intention of again practicing the usual philosophy to which they had been wont to devote themselves. Another passage from On the Contemplative Life by Philo of Alexandria this was like uh, a celebration of like the Feast of Pentecost or one of the other Jewish uh, holy days so this group, the Therapeutae, would stay up all night singing hymns and this is a co-ed monastery you have men and women uh, both living together in this intentional community and they just would stay up on these special occasions all night long singing hymns and watch the sun come up so they were they were enjoying. This was kind of a bliss blissful thing, uh, going on, uh, a very blissful kind of uh, devotion going on there, with the Therapeutae during the high holy days of Judaism, Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, uh, Day of Pentecost, Passover, and so on. Like the Essenes, the Therapeutae were vegetarians. Quote. At the table, too, they kept clear of animal flesh, nothing which had blood in it. But there is placed upon it bread for food and salt for seasoning, to which also hyssop is sometimes added, said Philo of Alexandria. So, like the Essenes, like the Pythagoreans, like most everyone else who was a mystic in antiquity, the Therapeutae were a vegetarian or vegan group, no animal flesh. Uh, of any kind was consumed. They had a plant-based diet at their spiritual community just outside Alexandria, Egypt 2,000 years ago. Like the Essene community at Qumran near the Dead Sea where the Dead Sea scrolls were found, the Therapeutae community was located near a large lake outside of Alexandria. So the idea of a monastery was not invented by Christianity but is a concept borrowed like everything else or most everything else from Judaism although we don't really know what writings they had uh, there are descriptions in Philo's writings of them studying each day ancient texts so I imagine them contemplating verses from the book of first Enoch for instance and of course the Torah and some other uh, writings uh, of a philosophical nature More on the Therapeutae after these messages. You're hearing Spiritual Awakening Radio. Stay with us. Spiritual lifestyle, contemplative life from India to Egypt this week on Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. Great being with you today. Earlier, a glimpse into ashram life at one of the Sant ashrams founded by Maharishi Mehi Paramhans. A glimpse into ashram life and meditation practice. And now we travel back in time to the Therapeutae, a mystical Jewish Essene group that had a monastery or intentional spiritual community just outside Alexandria and some of their practices, a rare glimpse. With the Essenes and Gnostics, we don't know them except by the writings that they possessed. In the case of the Therapeutae, we don't know them through the writings they possessed. But we do have great descriptions of them by Philo of Alexandria, who was a a spiritual master and great contemplative soul who learned much from the Therapeutae and from the Essenes and from Pythagorean teachings, Platonism. Philo of Alexandria, around the same time that the Gospel of John was being written, for instance, used the term Logos to refer to the music of the spheres, the creative power of the Godhead that vibrated all things into existence. Here's Philo's description of this group. They had a main sanctuary for worship and then they had little hermit cells, every, uh, you know, kind of spaced apart at a certain distance from one another where individuals could dwell. As I mentioned, this is a co-ed monastic community, so both men and women were part of this, which seems so much nicer than you're not allowed to come up the mountain, right? I mean, that's how it usually is with monasteries. Women are not allowed. This seems so much nicer to have a co-ed monastery. For the houses built in the fields and the villages which surround it on all sides give it safety and the admirable temperature of the air proceeds from the continual breezes which come from the lake, which falls into the sea, and also from the sea itself, in the neighborhood, the breezes from the sea being light, and those which proceed from the lake, which falls into the sea, being heavy, the mixture of which produces a most healthy atmosphere. But the houses of these men, thus congregated together, are very plain, just giving shelter in respect of the two things most important to be provided against, the heat of the sun and the cold from the open air. And they do not live near to one another as men do in cities, for immediate neighborhood to others would be a troublesome and unpleasant thing to men who have conceived an admiration for and have determined to devote themselves to solitude. And on the other hand, they do not live very far from one another on account of the fellowship which they desire to cultivate and because of the desirableness of being able to assist one another if they should be attacked by robbers. So the best of both worlds. You know, you get to have have your own space, but you're not really isolated from the the others if you need help. And, and of course, if you come together for occasional uh, worship as a group, you know, you don't have too far to go. So it's the best of community and, and, and the best of uh, solitude. You know, it's a nice uh, balance of both they had going on. Spiritual activities, prayer and study of the Therapeute. And in every house, says Philo of Alexandria, there is a sacred shrine, which is called the Holy Place, and the monastery in which they retire by themselves and perform all of the mysteries of a holy life, bringing in nothing, neither meat nor drink nor anything else which is indispensable towards supplying the necessities of the body, but studying in that place the laws and the sacred oracles of God, enunciated by the holy prophets, and hymns and psalms and all kinds of other things by reason of which knowledge and piety are increased and brought to perfection, So they're contemplating all of these sacred texts. Therefore they always retain an imperishable recollection of God, so that not even in their dreams is there any object that's ever presented to their eyes except the beauty of the divine virtues and of the divine powers. Therefore many persons speak in their sleep, divulging and publishing the celebrated doctrines of the sacred philosophy. They're so saturated that in their sleep, sometimes they divulge teachings. And they are accustomed to pray twice every day, at morning and at evening, when the sun is rising, entreating God that the happiness of the coming day may be real happiness, so that their minds may be filled with heavenly light. And when the sun is setting, they pray that their soul being entirely lightened and relieved of the burden of the outward senses and of the appropriate object of these outward senses may be able to trace out truth existing in its own council chamber. And the interval between morning and evening is by them devoted wholly to meditation on and to practice of virtue, for they take up the sacred scriptures and philosophize concerning them, investigating the allegories of their national philosophy since they look upon their literal expressions as symbols of some secret meaning of nature intended to be conveyed in those figurative expressions." So uh, this saying here by Philo uh, reminds me of Kabbalah, you know, secret interpretation of scripture, esoteric meanings uh, found in these texts. Uh, And finally, from Philo of Alexandria on the contemplative life, they have also writings of ancient men who, having been the founders of one sect or another, have left behind them many memorials of their allegorical system of writing and explanation whom they take as a kind of model and imitate the general fashion of their sect so that they do not occupy themselves solely in contemplation but they likewise compose psalms and hymns to God in every kind of meter and melody imaginable, which they, of necessity, arrange in more dignified rhythm. So they were into singing hymns as well. And according to one description I have, uh, their music was very mesmerizing. Their chant was really quite otherworldly and amazing. The life, a glimpse into the ancient life of the Therapeutae, of Alexandria, Egypt this week on Spiritual Awakening Radio. My name is James Bean. Thanks for listening.